So, Rachel, mm-hmm. an accident sends the Enterprise back to the 1960s. <laughs> what? <laughs> where it's spotted and identified as a UFO, requiring <laughs> Kirk to erase all evidence of the ship's journey before returning to his own era. Oh, sounds like one for the conspiracy theorists. Oh, yeah. Yikes, so they're going back to the 1960s, then they won't exist and neither will the ship. So I guess they visit the 60s time travel-wise, but how? Mm -hmm. Is it something to do with going up to warp 10? (gasps) But how is he going to erase all evidence? Wiping people's minds? Taking control of the media? (laughs) Is it real Earth this time? Or are we going back with Miri and the Bonk Bonkers? (laughs) Let's watch this thing! Captain's log, stardate 3113.2. We were en route to Starbase 9 for resupply when a black star of high gravitational attraction began to drag us toward it. It required all warp power in reverse to pull us away from the star. But like snapping a rubber band, the breakaway sent us plunging through space, out of control, to stop here wherever we are. That is the first captain's log from the Star Trek episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday. I am Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you're listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. I, a sci-fi nerd, am getting my wife Rachel to watch the original series of Star Trek. It's been a hoot so far, and I'm very excited to talk (laughs) about this episode. It starts off with a lot of stock footage. Mm -hmm. It doesn't match the same film style or quality of the rest of the show. It probably looked fine on a 25-inch low-res TV. There's this airman in a base looking at a radar screen, and he detects something, and he notifies his commanding officer. The first officer is kind of blowing him off at first, but when he tells him how big it is, the commander flips out and sends some fighters to go check out the thing. He says, I think we've got a real UFO on our hands. (laughs) They send out an F-104. In the sky, we see the USS Enterprise. (gasps) Dun-dun-dun! Good pre-credits teaser, I have to say. Yeah, they are the aliens, or so the Earthlings think. (laughs) So we've only seen strangers so far in this episode. That's new. It's not from our crew's perspective. Yeah. Now we get up to the captain's log that we heard at the top of the episode. We go to the bridge of the Enterprise, and we see everyone's kind of lying around, starting to get up. Kirk helps Sulu up. She looks dazed, but Kirk starts giving her instructions anyway. (laughs) She's a a professional, man. The ship's damaged and it's only working on its impulse power. Scott gets the auxiliary power up and running from engineering. Spot goes over to get the damage report and Kirk tells Uhura to get Starfleet control on the horn. They should be close to Starbase 9 because that's where they were headed to before this whole thing happened. And Spock says that there are only minor injuries and the ship hasn't received any kind of permanent damage. But the warp engines are offline temporarily. They are in low orbit around Earth and Kirk tells Sulu to get them up higher. Uhura reports that no Starfleet channels are being picked up, but they are getting something on another frequency. It's a radio broadcast saying that the first moonshot is to take place on Wednesday. Moonshot? A launch to the moon or towards the moon. Not necessarily a moon landing, Mm -hmm. but they're just going to the moon. It's just A shot at going to the moon. They're shooting a rocket at the moon. Kirk recalls that this was in the late 1960s. Spock sassily says, apparently, Captain, so are we. (laughs) Close upon Shatner going, what? (laughs) (laughs) He says that the Black Star whiplashed them backwards in time. What's a Black Star? Ah, 
A black star is a theoretical proto-black hole, not as big or as powerful, and it doesn't have an event horizon, which is once you get so close to a black hole, you're screwed. Oh. Once you pass the event horizon, you're in big trouble. Mm. It might just be a theoretical science stuff. I just did a quick look on it. Okay. I didn't put too much time into it. Right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Ohura says that she's getting air-to-ground transmissions, and the military craft is approaching fast. The jet is gaining on the Enterprise, so Kirk orders the fastest ascent possible. The jet is close enough for visual contact, and it spots the Enterprise and takes some pictures and rolls some film. The pilot, Captain John Christopher. Whoa. My middle name is John. Christopher John. John Christopher. What? What are the chances? How strange. <laughs> he starts giving a description of the Enterprise over the radio. Mission Control tells Captain Christopher to shoot it down. I was like, whoa, that is harsh. Yikes. This is the height of the Cold War and the space race. So apparently people were frightened of what new technology could be out there in the skies. Mm. Weaponry that they may not know how to deal with or even extraterrestrials. <laughs> so it was a time of heightened anxiety. Doesn't it look like Lou Skywalker in that one film? <sighs> Star Wars, maybe? Is that what you're talking about? When he's in the orange uniform and yeah. the helmet. I mean, I knew it was one of the franchise. I just didn't know which one. He wears the flight suit in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Looks like him, doesn't it? Uh, it's an orange flight suit, so yeah, sure. <laughs> and he's in a little pod type of sure. thing with a helmet on. Yeah. I like Mission Control's voice. He sounds like Cameron pretending okay. to be Sloane's dad in Ferris Bueller's <laughs> Day Off. Do you remember? <laughs> Mr. Rooney! Mr. Rooney! <laughs> <laughs> you better mind your P's and Q's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So Spock says that the fighter could be armed with nukes and could possibly pose a threat to the Enterprise in its weakened state. Kirk orders a tractor beam on it, even though Spock says that it might be too fragile and be crushed by the beam. Kirk doesn't have much of a choice, so he orders it tractored. Of course, it starts to break apart, so Kirk has Christopher beamed on to the Enterprise. Beam him aboard! Whoa, that's awesome! <laughs> I was a little miffed that he came in standing up, though. He should be sitting down, shouldn't he? Yeah. Unless it was a, some kind of standing uh, yeah, aircraft he was in. That's true. I guess if you can break somebody down to the molecular level and then reconstruct them, you can reconstruct them in any pose you so desire. Well, we'll see that that's the case later when <laughs> the next person beams in. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, Kirk is the one to greet Christopher in the transporter room. Christopher is hostile, but not violent towards Kirk, who seems to be bemused by everything Christopher does. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this adorable little caveman. Isn't he just a doll? <laughs> Kirk is in full twinkle mode and he looks hot in the chiaroscuro lighting. <laughs> <laughs> he is in twinkle mode, you're right. So Christopher wants to know what's going on, but Kirk says he'll explain in due time. He's being a bit Trelawney, a twinkly, warm, but firm reception for his hostage. Oh, yeah, he is, isn't mm. he? She was on the other foot this time. <laughs> Kirk takes Christopher to the bridge where Spock tells him that the fighter has been crushed. So Kirk orders it released. Christopher seems surprised to see women around, or her especially. And they play a kind of a <laughs> kind of trumpet music when the women walk past. So Kirk tells Christopher that they are part of the United Space Probe Agency. Something not brought up in Star Trek uh, again, as far as I know. Hmm. And he tells Christopher that he's from the future. I was quite flabbergasted by that. <laughs> that's some deep elevator talk. Well, I mean, I'm a guy that's grown up on sci-fi movies and television. You don't tell the primitive screwheads that you're from the future. It could mess up the timeline. Hmm. I guess the UESPA doesn't have protocols for this type of thing, like time traveling, hmm. because Kirk is just blabbing away. <laughs> Christopher does a bit of staring when he sees Spock. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. 
<laughs> Kirk's keen for Chris to have a good look around, though. He's an indulgent host. He sure is. Spock gets Kirk on his own while Uhura chats up Christopher. Spock says they almost have everything up and running again, especially the deflectors, which will hide them from the 1960s Earth technology, mm. so they won't be able to be detected. Spock also brings up the fact that they beamed up a guy from 1960s Earth to the Enterprise. So if they return him, he will tell the U.S. government everything, and this could alter the timeline so that they never exist. Kirk is annoyed by this, but he sees the point, and he tells Spock to get Christopher into some more appropriate clothes and meet him in his quarters. Looks like they found their unicorn, Chris. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> Why did you say gross? <laughs> I just gross? said, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Oh, golly. Mm -hmm. You've changed, Dinks. I'm just looking for a slash fiction around this. (laughs) (laughs) In his quarters, Kirk is doing his log and is having computer issues. (laughs) Computer on. Record. Recording. Come. Captain's log supplemental. Engineering officer Scott informs warp engines damaged can be made operational and re-energized. Computed and recorded, dear. Computer, you will not address me in that manner. Compute. Computed, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Kirk and Spock look weary and a bit embarrassed. We loved it. We did. (laughs) So does Christopher. He's having a good smirk. He calls it Kirk's girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) It's genuinely funny. It seems that when they were on the female-dominated planet of Signet 14, the overhaul that they had on the ship's computers were modified by the technicians there. They call it a lady computer. Spock complains that they gave it a personality. Female, of course. What are they saying? (laughs) (laughs) That all women talk like that, I guess? That that is a female? It's kind of sexist. Totally. Why would these presumably highly intelligent female-dominated types program it to sound like a wife? Maybe they're being patronizing to them. Yeah. Maybe it's like, uh, oh, this is what you expect women to be like. We're going to show you and Mm. we'll put it in your computers. But Kirk has some sour news. Christopher can't go back. Spock checked his background and Christopher made no significant contributions to society. Ouch. Yeah, no, harsh. Christopher ain't having it. He yells at him that he's got a wife and kids back home. And Spock's eyebrow perks up at that. Kirk points out, if they send him back, it would be his duty to report what he's learned. It's what he would do if he was in Christopher's situation. That is why they can't have him going back. Scott calls in and tells Kirk the ship will be fully operational in four hours. Uh, but what do they do then? When Scott is said, we've no place to go in this time, if you see what I mean. Why did I think he meant we've nowhere to go to the toilet because the toilet system is broken or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know why you thought that. <laughs> There was nothing indicating that that was the case. You had to explain to me that he meant we can't go anywhere in this time zone because there aren't any of our bases. There's yeah. no, there's nowhere to go in 1960s Earth in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> why yeah. did I think? I don't know why you thought it had <laughs> to do with the plumbing system. Broken. No, that's, that's no place here. to go. I thought go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the amount of time you spend with children. Maybe. But yeah, I mean that's the point. Where do they go? How do mm-hmm. they get back to their own time? Because eventually they're supplies are going to run out the ship is going to need to be upgraded refitted Mm -hmm. you know maintained and they just don't have the materials to do that yeah like they say they are all prisoners in time Mm -hmm. well when doing the captain's log again kirk finally gets fired up with that sassy computer and threatens to wipe out its memory 
And that seems to get the computer in line. Computed. Paul Computer. (laughs) Spock calls in and says that he's got some new information on Christopher. Kirk says that he and Christopher will meet up with him. But when Kirk tries to call Christopher, he doesn't answer. He's making a break for it. Of course he is. Who wouldn't? Kirk orders security alert. Christopher is creeping in the halls and he knocks out a security guard. Hey, how does he know Kirk Foo? Gives him a proper chop. He does. Yeah, I guess that's just what... Everybody knows in the military. Mm. Theron would know. Yeah, go on, yeah. Theron. <laughs> Tell us about uh, Kirk Fu in the yeah. military. Are you trained? He grabs the security guard's phaser and then heads to the transporter room. Transporter operator Kyle is there, and Christopher points his phaser at him, telling him to beam him to the surface. But before he can finish his command, Kirk disarms Christopher and knocks him out. Yeah, knocks him unconscious. He doesn't come around until the sick bay. So in the sick bay, Dr. McCoy tells Kirk Christopher will be fine. He comes to, and Kirk sympathizes with him, and McCoy says, Hey, look, buddy. We're all stuck here. We're going to run out of food and we can't beam the whole crew down to Earth because it'll mess up the timeline. Every person is another opportunity to change history. Mm -hmm. And even if we keep him here, he can't do anything. He's a dinosaur. It's too late for him to be retrained in our technology. That's harsh. Why why, why (laughs) can't he learn? I don't understand. But we can retrain him to forget his family Ah. and Christopher objects. Spock comes in and says that they have to send Christopher back. Chris is hurt about the no relevant contribution (laughs) and Spock admits both that it was a poor choice of words and that he was wrong in this calculations. Sweet. Yeah. Seems his son, Sean Christopher, has a huge contribution in history by being in command of the first Earth-Saturn mission. Christopher says that he doesn't have a son and McCoy says... Yet. (laughs) Then Christopher gets all doe-eyed thinking about having a son. They're all so pleased for him. (laughs) (laughs) Now Kirk is annoyed again because now they have to send him back, which is going to make things very hard for them. So they imagined sending a person to Saturn within the next generation? Yeah, they had lofty goals back then. (laughs) Once the cap was off the bottle, it was all coming out of the bottle i can't finish that (laughs) you know i really love this episode because they do a great job of keeping it interesting and Mm -hmm. changing it up raising the stakes like you think oh okay they got a plan something goes wrong they keep up in it it's really well done and a great balance of zaniness and seriousness yeah spock points out that captain christopher's plane crashed in nebraska and most likely they have already gone through the wreckage not finding a body Christopher also tells them that his radio conversation was recorded and the Enterprise was filmed. Kirk points out that the UFO sightings were common in the 1960s, but none with any real proof. I looked up just for England alone, there were 360 in the year 1967 when this was made. About one for every day of the year. Wow. Spock says they've destroyed a fighter, that they've got a lot of evidence to support that they are aliens. And destructive aliens. Exactly. Changing the subject, Kirk asks about any possible way to go back in time. Spock has a theory that might work, so Kirk thinks, if we're going to go back, we got to fix this. So he has a plan to sneak into the military base and destroy all the evidence. Mm. That way they can become just another UFO sighting. Christopher offers to help and sketches out a map of the base. There's some nice, friendly chemistry between him and Kirk. It seems Christopher trusts him and Kirk likes and identifies with Christopher. Mm Mm-hmm. Kirk looks worried, though, as he should, yeah. about this plan. The stakes are pretty high, and it seems very risky. Mm. And you could potentially make things much, much worse. <laughs> Kirk and Sulu beam down and sneak around a bit. Kirk points something out on a bulletin board, and then Sulu, like, is really into it. <laughs> I'm guessing that it was pizza in the cafeteria on Wednesday, <laughs> and Sulu loves him some pizza, you oh, know? Yeah. So he's really excited about that. Mm-hmm. They find the room, but it's locked. I'm not going to stop Starfleet because they've got some device that picks locks. Uh, no wonder they don't bother with locks on the Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> so inside they find the audio tapes. 
They've both seen reel-to-reel tapes demonstrated in museums. What museums are these? Uh, the audio museums? <laughs> on some planet somewhere. On Earth. I forgot they grew up on Earth. Did they? Yeah, Kirk's from Iowa. Oh, right, yeah. Why yeah. do I always forget that? And Sulu's from San Francisco, I think. Really? Yeah. I can't imagine them ever not being on that ship. It's only a five-year mission, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Goodness. On the Enterprise, Spock and McCoy are waiting in the transporter room. McCoy is getting nervous. Spock tells him to simmer down. Stealth <laughs> missions take longer. And McCoy interrupts him before he's even finished his answer, of course. Shouldn't you be working on your time warp calculations, Mr. Spock? To which Spock calmly responds, I am. Oh, zing! Zing! Yeah, he could just do it standing there. He's just standing <laughs> there thinking about some, some math. Because yeah. he's awesome. He's Spock. I really don't like McCoy in these early episodes. Yeah. I remember being fond of him. Like he was kind of this grumpy, fun guy. Mm. And maybe that comes later. But in yeah. these early ones, he's just a jerk. Yeah. I have to say in this episode, he pulls it off better than in others. Yeah. It comes across as slightly humorous and less assholey. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting there if that's what he's trying to get to. Yes. So back on the base, just as Kirk and Sulu get all these tapes, a staff sergeant catches them and holds them at gunpoint. He orders them to give over all their stuff, tapes, phasers, and the communicators. Kirk, fill him! How are we going to get out of this one? Uh, but back on the ship, Spock finally agrees that they're taking too long and he tries to call Kirk. The staff sergeant hears the beeping on the communicator and asks Kirk what the noise is. Kirk and Sulu are like, what noise? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, the staff sergeant starts fiddling with it and accidentally engages the emergency signal, causing Spock to beam him up. <laughs> oh no, now it's double the trouble. <laughs> hey, but this guy was standing and now he's beamed and crouched. <laughs> Come on! The staff sergeant is just frozen in shock. Especially when he sees Spock. This was funny. It was. (laughs) He's great, this guy. McCoy takes the gun and device from his hands without him even moving. Yeah, he gives up with no effort, just standing and staring in disbelief. His eyes are all bugged. Kirk calls Spock and says, clearly, we have yet another problem. (laughs) Now they've got two out-of-timers. Wah, wah. (laughs) And that's what I mean about the stakes. They keep going up and up as this episode progresses. You know, things go wrong. Oh, no, new problem. Mm. Oh, no, bigger problem. Oh, no, bigger problem. But it gets a bit farcical. So they're having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. They keep the staff sergeant in the transporter room because he ain't moving. (laughs) They find the dark room where the film is being stored, but they accidentally set off a silent alarm. And their security team are way better than the Enterprises, so they're on it right away. Yeah, they are. Kirk hears them come in and goes to keep them busy while Sulu beams out with all the stuff. It's a bit of a kerfuffle. A bit of a kerfuffle? (laughs) Best fight scene ever! (laughs) I have to say, there is an awesome wall of Kirk. It's so good. It's amazing. Three guys. Wham! Whoa! Compared to the gone last time. Yeah. They must have been practicing this while they were supposed to be doing the gone choreography. Night and day. They managed to subdue Kirk and look in the dark room, but Sulu's gone. That's scamp. He protects Sulu. He does. The guy saw Sulu and he asks where his buddy is. And Kirk is like, I was alone. If I was with somebody, how could he have gotten out? Mm-hmm. You know, with his cheeky little smile. Yeah, and his eyeliner a bit smudged. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the Enterprise, Scott says the warp engines are fixed and good to go. Spock tells him to power them up. McCoy gets in his third round of shouting at Spock. He's clearly worried about Kirk and doesn't trust Spock's effectiveness, but he doesn't have any ideas himself. No. But he could also do with some therapy to process this rage that (laughs) poor Spock keeps eliciting in him. He should also be disciplined for bullying in the workplace. (laughs) Absolutely. But, you know, Spock can handle it. He's not threatened. Well, no. (laughs) 
uh, down on the surface, Lieutenant Colonel Fellini, that's the, the guy in charge, is interrogating Kirk. Kirk is loving it. <laughs> so condescending to Fellini. He just keeps telling him, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. Fair enough. And Fellini picks up Kirk's type one phaser. The type one phaser is just like a little box. It looks oh. similar to the communicator. Uh. It's not as powerful as a regular phaser, but still, it packs a bit of a wallop. Mm. A <laughs> wallop. <laughs> and you could see Kirk get a little nervous with Fellini messing around with the phaser because mm. he doesn't obviously know it's a weapon. Yeah. By the way, that's a good technique for getting reluctant males to talk, supposedly. Sitting side by side rather than face to face. It's less intimidating if you don't have eye contact. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm. and they don't feel pressured to not look at you because they're looking straight ahead. And yeah, yeah, feels a bit more sense. casual. Fellini lists Kirk's offensive. Sabotage, espionage, unauthorized entry, burglary. I can lock you away for 200 years. And then Kirk responds, eh, it's about right. <laughs> There's some great comic timing in this bit. It feels like another show, Sergeant Bilko or something, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. Spock and Christopher are trying to figure out where Kirk is. Christopher thinks that he can lead them, and Spock reluctantly agrees, giving only Sulu and himself phasers, none for Christopher. Spock trusts Christopher, but only to a certain point. Yeah. They go to the transporter and beam down. The poor staff sergeant is more freaked out by this, <laughs> and Kyle offers him something to eat. Uh, he goes, what do you want? And he goes, Ch chicken soup. So Kyle goes over to the wall and there's a food synthesizer <laughs> in the transporter room. But they had budget issues. They were going to have him do this, but they were going to do it in the commissary. But then they would have to hire a bunch of other actors mm -hmm. to, and to get that set ready. So they just figured they would build in a little slidey hatched so they could have a food processor in the yeah. transporter room. Well, but maybe they've decided to station somebody permanently in the transporter room in case somebody beams themselves in <laughs> and they'll need some food, won't they? I think it's a sensible choice. <laughs> True. Well, he asked for some chicken soup and it comes in and then he tries it and he goes, it's chicken soup. <laughs> so he's like extra freaked out. Loved it. <laughs> Back on Earth, there's a guard holding Kirk. Spock comes in and takes him out with a nerve pinch. Mm. Kirk socks the other who slides and slumps slowly down a wall. <laughs> Spock shows concern for Kirk's painful hand from punching him and touches it. Empathy. <laughs> I love you. You're so into the Kirk Spock now. No, no, that's just, you know, he notices that he's in pain and he cares about it yes. and comforts him. Yes, empathy. And that is not sociopathic behavior. When Kirk and Sulu talk, Christopher gets one of the guns and holds Kirk and Sulu at gunpoint. He won't be beaming up with them. Kirk says, look, we want you to go back. We just have to do it the right way. Mm. But Christopher is not listening. And somehow, I'm not sure how he did it, Spock managed to get behind Christopher <laughs> and nerve pinch. <laughs> he knew he could trust Christopher only so far. Mm, go Spock. <laughs> they all beam back up. Okay, so Spock has a theory that will, of course, work. They're going to slingshot again, just like how they got here, mm. except instead of doing it around this black star, they're going to do it around the sun. And as they go back in time a little bit, they're going to slingshot around into the future and get back to the time they want to be. But the plan is when they slingshot back into the past a bit, that they're going to beam Christopher and this guy back to earth this is pretty vague because mm -hmm. even when watching it i had trouble understanding it it was mm -hmm. only reading about this episode afterwards that that is what is supposed to have happened yeah i'm quite lost on the whole slingshot thing well the idea isn't a very good one but <laughs> what they're saying is that by using the gravity of the sun the mm -hmm. very powerful gravity of the sun that it's going to pull them in and they're going to go past it so the gravity of the sun wants to pull them back but back instead of going again. back into the sun they're going to use their engines to go around it so they're going right. to go super super fast okay so going past the sun is like stretching into a slingshot and then you release it 
that's the sun pulling them back towards it yeah, the and sun... then they that's right and that's so fast that it sends them through time through time okay <laughs> how that works i don't know exactly i'm sure they don't either but that's what they're going with there so when they beam these guys into their bodies to their old bodies, somehow they'll merge the two again not mm. sure how they do that they said that they will have the memories of what happened but they will be unable to report the things because they have yet to happen huh. now this is creating yet another paradox that doesn't even get mentioned scott brings up a problem however slowing down and stopping at the right time the structural stress could blow up the Enterprise. Kirk says they don't have any other options. Yes, you do. <laughs> Take some time, make some more calculations, do some math, maybe oh, right. restructure some stuff. I mean, if they're traveling in time, they've got they've got time. That's the mm. one thing they do have. It isn't an urgent thing this time for no. a change. But from a drama standpoint, yeah, I get it. There's a sweet little bit of dialogue between Kirk and Christopher that... Christopher didn't qualify for the space program and Kirk's encouraging him that he's made it here ahead of all of them after mm. all. They get to their stations and go for it. The remastered effects are much better again, but not too much. It still feels like the original series of Star Trek. They whip around the sun. Sulu is just breaking out of the gravity of the sun. I think it's time to fit some grab rails and practice brace positions <laughs> by now. Let's get that into the basic training. Yes. <laughs> So as they go back towards Earth, first beaming Christopher and then the staff sergeant. Spock has computed the coordinates and chronometer readings to deliver Christopher back. It just occurred to me that he's a computer. I'm sure that's been obvious to everyone else for ages. Yeah. And that the lady computers may provide a contrast to him in this episode. They're supposedly affectionate. They're oh, mostly right. just receiving information. Yeah. Maybe McCoy would like them. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher is back to the cockpit of the fighter, merged with his old self. The Enterprise is no longer in the sky. Not sure how that worked. Hmm. Why wasn't it there? Because they were in that period of time. It's not like that got erased. I'm... There's one Christopher sitting there in his aircraft looking at the Enterprise. Then he merges with another Christopher who can't the... see the Enterprise. Well, I don't know. They, they kind of don't explain that. And I, I did some more reading on it and I couldn't figure out. They just have to wrap this up in one episode, so they, they do what they kind of do. <laughs> yeah. Christopher tells Mission Control it's just another UFO. The staff sergeant seems not as shocked as he should be, in my opinion, <laughs> when he gets beamed back into his own body. <laughs> yeah. They speed into the future. Things get pretty rough. They do really well with acting and camera shaking and tipping to oh. convey this oh, yeah. more than turbulent journey. Scott calls from engineering that the engines are buckling, but they still make it fine. Record ship arrival, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. Well done, DC Fontana. Good to have you back on the writing. Yeah. Again, she manages to write two female lines in the whole episode. <laughs> but I won't hold it against her. This was great. Yeah. Let's get into concepts. So have you made a relevant contribution? Have I? No. No. Maybe our children, but not me specifically. Would the course of world events be significantly changed if one or other of us was suddenly lifted off the earth? No. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. We're one of billions. And when you look at those numbers, like when you really look at how many people there are in the world, it's, mm. we're nothing. We're tiny oh. little specks. And for them, someone else could have gone to Saturn, surely. But could anyone else have made this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> probably yes but not as good <laughs> probably yes, yeah. not as good and that would be the thing with uh sean christopher mm -hmm. maybe somebody else would have gotten the job but mm -hmm. not done as well as he did with it mm -hmm. yeah or maybe done better well yeah <laughs> i don't know about that i like to think that i change and improve people's lives as a therapist 
But that's not to say that someone else couldn't do just as good or bad a job. (laughs) Well, I mean, the people that you affect, again, it's not really that many people in the grand scheme of things. But that does affect all of the relationships they have. It's true. There's a ripple effect going out there. The (laughs) butterfly effect, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's something, a small act could change everything. And that's what is kind of an issue with time travel and, and paradox. The idea that if you go back in time, that just by you being there, you've already changed time mm-hmm. in a butterfly effect kind of way. We've got the concept of not being significant ourselves, but becoming significant or trying to be through our children. Yeah. The sacrifice and the pressure of that. I didn't leave my mark, but they will. And that's certainly something that goes through generations and generations oh, before yeah. us. Hmm. I'm confused as to how it worked to beam them back into their own bodies. Did that make sense to you? Mm, Not really. (laughs) I think it was... (laughs) I'm not exactly sure how you can do that because it just sounds like that somehow they beamed them to where their bodies were and destroyed the other bodies. (laughs) I guess so. If those two versions of them exist, can't you just get rid of the one that's seen too much (laughs) and leave the other one to it? I don't know. They were able to know what time they were going back to or forward to. How? Yeah, but how does that work? (laughs) Maybe they can figure it out by the positions of the stars and the sun. I don't know. Also, this is a huge thing that they don't really talk about is that they know how to time travel now. It was one of the early episodes where they went back in time by mistake. Yeah, for three, they went like three days back in time. Yeah. And this time they solidly have a theory, test it, and it works. Mm. So they know how to travel in time. Yeah. And then they just kind of go, well, whatever. Oh. And move on. That could get them out of any perilous situation. perilous (laughs) situations. Like if there's an issue, it's like, oh no, go back in time and let's go fix things. Mm. Dangerous though. Of course. But if things go bad enough, you might as you might as well risk going back. Yeah, yeah. This idea that this technology is out there. What if somebody nefarious got a hold of it, or like, a, mm. you know, the Klingons somehow got that information and went back in time and changed the outcome of the Federation Klingon War, mm. or any of these other possibilities? The fact that this is something that you can just do in a starship. And that would make life so meaningless if it was possible to go back and undo. What's the purpose of winning if the loser can go back and change that? What's the purpose of achieving if it can be undone? Yeah, well, it gets pretty complicated when you start messing around with time travel. Yeah. So for the for the uh, concepts of this one, I give it a I give it a solid seven. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, seven too. Entertainment. I enjoyed it when they accidentally beamed in more people. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Yeah. There was an amazing fight scene in the tape room. Wall of Kirk, yeah. fast-paced fighting three guys at once, awesome. sucking guys across the room and into shelves, rolling around with them, swinging from a door frame yeah. and kicking them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this against the worst fight scene ever in the last episode. <laughs> I loved everyone being thrown around by the ship as well. Yeah. It was funny. Yeah. The lady computer stuff came off as charming and daft somehow. Even though logically it's sexist, I, yeah, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the actor's comic timing was great across the board. Yeah. Great direction. Yeah. I'm going to go for a nine, I think. Wow. Really enjoyed this episode. Wow. Yeah. You know, as a kid, it totally bored me. I remember <laughs> thinking this is such a lame episode, but I love it as an adult. Mm-hmm. I got to give it a hard eight, maybe mm-hmm. even eight. Point five. Uh, sexiness. Kirk was very sexy in this. <laughs> the lighting, the smiling, dare I say the fighting? What? Yeah. 
Spock was pretty great too, and I didn't mind young blue eyes slash white teeth either. Captain he was Christopher. Okay. He was okay. Yeah, he's yeah, he's all right. He's pretty good. He's yeah, good. very blue eyes. Yeah, yeah. Wrist. You know, not much for me in the sexiness department. Kirk was full Kirk, cheeking it up, being a rascal. <laughs> so uh, two. Ah, two. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. I mean, for for you, obviously. Yeah, I you give were... it a five. There you go. All right, our next episode is entitled Court Martial. Mm. Another courtroom drama oh. i think that these are cheap to do i think that's why they keep <laughs> doing them because it's just people in a room sitting around talking about stuff oh it doesn't bode well i don't think yeah i i remember not liking this one as a kid as well but maybe it'll come up trumps then maybe it will uh. come up trumps rachel thank you so much for watching star trek with me i have so much fun my pleasure and now we're off to watch one of my favorites hello dolly <laughs> look out for that episode <laughs> never <laughs> Chris watches musicals. <laughs> and with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel watches Star Trek. Star Trek.